0: following program is brought to you by your friends at podcast one
1: hey it's adam carolla the greatest time of the year is back college basketball that's right march madness march mania and march money join in on everyone's favorite game the bracket challenge contest at betonline.ag sign up for a free account receive your 50 percent welcome bonus and make your picks All the early lines for all the games are now available, so don't miss out on any of the action for the next three weeks at betonline.ag, the exclusive partner at Podcast One Sports Net.
0: Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, we do in-depth interviews with some of today's most important business leaders. Hey, everybody. The NFL season is fast approaching. I'm really excited to get everyone going. We have Jason Robbins the founder and CEO of Fantasy Sports Daily Site, DraftKings. Jason, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. What are you looking forward to at DraftKings? It's it's preseason football right now. The big show is about to start. What are you excited about?
2: This is the most exciting time of year. Um, while everyone's taking vacations on uh, during the summer in August, uh, our team is cranking away. It's crunch time. So, Games are kicking off very shortly, and we have some really exciting things. We launched a new product called Pick'ems, which much easier version of mm-hmm. fantasy sports. Instead of worrying about the salary cap, you just pick different players from groups of tiers that we show you. So much easier. You don't have to worry about balancing salary caps. You can create teams much faster and focus on just the, the best players. We also have some really exciting promotions coming out. Um we're launching new T V creatives and we're we'll gonna be ramping our ads back up uh, you know, uh, not quite to the level that we did a couple years ago, but yeah, more that so that would
0: require having your own channel, I think. Yeah, like. well, I
2: think that this year we're we're gonna do more than than before, but it'll still be uh you know, moderate compared to that. But it'll definitely be a more noticeable presence, especially going into the season. Do you have a favorite team? You're a, you're a Miami guy, right? I grew up in Miami but I've been in Boston for uh better part of a decade and a half now. So yeah, they brainwashed um, you, right? Hard not to love the Patriots being up there. They just keep winning, and Tom Brady is the man. I don't, yeah. I don't care what anyone says, best NFL player ever.
0: Yeah, one decade. You've picked a pretty good decade for Boston sports. I'll tell you that. I
2: know. I like to take credit for it. I moved to Boston in the early 2000s, and Red Sox broke the curse. Bruins won. Celtics won. Patriots won, I think, three since yeah. I've been there, um, all because I moved there.
0: Seems great. I'm a Jersey boy, but my parents are from the South Shore, Boston, and I was brainwashed to be a Red Sox fan. And that 2004 season, I think, yes. just ruined sports forever for me because you couldn't. You the whole Yankees it. come, you can't top it. Um, are and, you a
2: Patriots fan? Because uh, I think came close in the Super Bowl last year. They did.
0: No, it's funny. I am. I like the Patriots, but I'm a Giants fan. I think ah. that I couldn't escape that New Jersey. Good well, then family for you, friend of that
2: yeah. 07 season. That's gotta. Be. I know
0: it's a few people that, that were that was at the perfect season, and that was that weird hybrid. Um, how much? How important is the NFL to DraftKings? Like, how much of your your market is football?
2: Uh, football is definitely the most popular sport. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know because of the the way our product's set up. Because in traditional fantasy sports. Whether you're playing baseball or football or basketball, it doesn't matter. You play for a season, yeah. Because for us, you play on a daily or weekly basis, or you know you can kind of come and go as you want. Mm-hmm. The frequency and number of games actually matters a lot in terms of you know how much gameplay we get and how many prizes we can give away and how much people can play for. So the the sports like baseball and basketball, they're daily. Actually, get mm-hmm. quite a bit of entry fees and uh, a lot of prizes and. It's not quite as far uh, as much as NFL, but it's a much closer gap. But when you look at the number of participants, it's dwarfed by NFL mm-hmm. so much so that even with a shorter you know, less games, I think we run about 20 or 21 because we go into the playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, compared to like 162 baseball games. Even with that many less games, it's still bigger overall.
0: And you mentioned you're doing a, a starting a big media push. Um, you know, you every you and obviously FanDuel kind of. Attacked the airwaves two years ago it was kind of a giant land grab, and those ads were always about you know the big payouts, the big wins, or just making money in a, in a, in some way. Is that still the message? Because I've always felt like I play daily fantasy because I just enjoy I think I enjoy the actual the game of it. It makes all the games more interesting. And football is kind of the one I have. I have young kids, and so I can't really follow a full baseball season or full basketball season. But football is the one thing I, I can make it my Sunday. And I think traditional fantasy has kind of ruined it in terms of you know rooting for the giants per se, but I also want that extra juice in there, and daily fantasy has that not not big money, but kind of the the enjoyment of the games. Is that a new message that you 're putting forward? Is it still kind of the you know you can make money in, on your team and that kind of thing
2: well, first of all, you sound just like me. I got two small kids, and Sunday is my one one refuge that I, yes. my wife still knows that uh, I got the hours between one and seven uh, are mine. Um, but, the yeah, kids, but the good pretty, thing is,
0: the, kid can, the kids can
2: nap on your chest while watching football, so you, you can <laughs> well, do that. Well, my it a older one is three, is actually starting to get interested in watching with me, and she doesn't want him in front the whole time, but she lets him sit and watch with me for a couple hours. And when I go to the Patriots games, he comes with me, so that's getting cool. I'm that's good, yeah. That. Um, but anyway, back to your question I think um, the answer is yes. The messaging is quite different this year. I, I think we made a mistake two years ago by being very one dimensional in our messaging. Yeah. Um, And it's, of course, true that part of the the appeal of the game is you can win, you can win money. That's not 100% of what it's about. And for most people, that's really not the thing that they enjoy and what drives them. It's it's a piece of it. Um, And I think we made it all about that, made it very one-dimensional, which really undersold the product. We did some brand research over the summer. And what was interesting is we found that while our current customers were rating us very highly on certain dimensions, like you know, fun to play and, you know, makes my Sundays more enjoyable and easy and things like that. Um, Our prospective customers that had never tried the product were rating us poorly on those things. And Mm -hmm. it's like a light bulb went off. We said, this is at least in part a messaging issue, because if we are hearing from our customers that our product has these attributes, yet people don't think that it does, and they kind of view us in this one-dimensional silo, it probably means we, we messed up. We didn't really explain the product well and this year, you're going to see a totally different style of campaign. There's mm-hmm. two different sets of ads. Um, one is sort of you know inspirational and focuses on, I think, a lot of the reasons that people like you and me like to play fantasy sports. The other is a more sort of lighthearted one that also touches on some of the things that makes this an exciting addition to season long. If you're already a season long player,
0: yeah, it's good, especially if you know if your team, the NFL is so binary that if your team is you know really bad, even at, you know if they're out of the playoffs in the first month you can still be a football fan and, you know, do the daily fantasy or real fantasy and talk about the messaging. I mean, there was obviously what, take me back to that, you know, the business idea of those, you know, there's kind of a, a war going on in a way with you guys and FanDuel to get a player base. And, you know, you couldn't turn on ESPN without you know, seeing at least one ad every 30 seconds. How did that come to be? And kind of what was the, the, the thinking and how, how effective was it?
2: Well, I think at the time, we were trying to scale up so quickly. Um, our customer base was growing 10, 20 times year over year. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's hard to do. Um, and so sometimes you end up making trade-offs that you look back and wish you didn't. And one of them, I think, was the way that we approached the advertising. We um, you know, went at an obnoxious volume, and we had ads that were you know, really one-dimensional. The way it came about is, we tested those ads, and we were very focused on customer acquisition at the time. That was what everything was about. So we tested those ads, and they worked for customer acquisition. And with a thousand other things going on, trying to scale up your business and get ready for NFL, hard to you know, take something that's working and prioritize doing something new. The irony of it was that we actually did have new ads that we rolled out that season. and mm-hmm. Because we had so much going on, we were a little late to the game, so they actually didn't end up hitting the airwaves till week three or four, and everyone thought that they were a response to the backlash from the others, but... I mean, there's no way we could have gotten new ads done in two weeks. Yeah, so it wasn't exactly. that. We just didn't get them out in time. And in retrospect, I really wish we had because I think would the volume would have still been too much, but it would have presented the company in a little bit of a different way.
0: And with that much volume, I mean, you had you know, very similar ads going on. What, how much thought did you go into? Because you're, you know, you're, you're putting down huge money and kind of blitzing, no pun intended, the, the audience. How much hammering was it over the, the ads? Because what you chose to do, that content was going to be blasted everywhere, a big bet what was kind of the thinking between developing those that message those actors that ad
2: well we are a data driven company an analytic company so we mm-hmm. test everything so those ads were tested and we knew they worked yeah um, the thinking going into it was you know it was I wish we could we we, we uh, could take credit for our advertising work especially the new stuff we're doing but that was that was done by an agency and mm-hmm. i think it was really based on sort of you know different types of uh, attributes that people responding to in digital and other sorts of advertising that we were seeing. And they tried a few different concepts, and that was the one that performed the best on Mm -hmm. the acquisition side. So we had tested it before. Um, We didn't know what the return on that volume of ads would be, but we had enough data to know that it would work pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to predict, though, when you're scaling up that fast. The really weird thing and interesting thing about... Uh, this this company and this market, and I've never been at a place like this before. Um, best analogy I could think of is like H&R Block. You have to do all of your marketing in a very short window of time. Not all of it, but like a very high proportion of it in a very short window yeah. of time. Um, and as we've expanded into new sports internationally and stuff, like that'll, that'll smooth out, but still... Um, fantasy football is the thing in the U.S. That's mm-hmm. where you're going to acquire your customers and you're going to acquire them best at that period leading up to the season and in the first month or two of the mm-hmm. season. So you kind of each year have to say, look, I, I'm going to have to put my best foot forward in this time. And and you're trying to scale up quickly, that means you got to make some bets because if you don't, then you missed your window for the year and it's mm-hmm. a whole other year before you can do it again.
0: And you guys have had a, you know, a very crazy year in the sense of, not only are you running a high-flying, competitive, fast-growing startup, but then you had all these regulatory issues that was, you know, out of your control, and it was, you know, up in the air. And you had a proposed merger with with FanDuel that eventually didn't iron out. Like, what? How are you doing, man? How are you
2: feeling? <laughs> I, I've gotten a lifetime of experience in just a couple of years. And so You got like a the... PhD in all in everything. Uh, yes. Uh, well, you know, it's been really interesting. Um, obviously, moments of it were were not is uh is fun and we're we're stressful but um overall the experience has been interesting i'm somebody that you know i was an entrepreneur i was Mm -hmm. focused on product and tech and marketing and analytics and all of a sudden i was thrust into the world of you know state regulators and legislators lobbyists lobbyists and um attorneys general and uh you know then i suddenly with the merger I'm thrust into antitrust law and federal trade commission and it really just gave me a very interesting perspective on the world, on government, on how it all works. It mm-hmm. makes me view everything that I read and everything that I see going on with the world, uh, with world governments, um, and, and of course with our government in a different way. Um, it's it's sort of like you what, know yeah. What kind of way
0: you have this all this knowledge now? What 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 was you know Jason before this and Jason after? How do you read that read that paper now?
2: It's like I, so you're a football fan. I'm a football fan. Mm-hmm imagine you spent a year and a half just hanging out in the locker room, hanging out in the sidelines, you know, getting in the team huddle. Um, I mean, literally that level of access probably is a bit extreme, but getting Mm -hmm. just much closer to something that you've been seeing from afar from all these years and all of a sudden like the nuances of how it works and how it all kind of, you know, fits together just become much clearer. Uh, And and you realize it's people too behind it because sometimes when you're reading about this stuff in the papers and – you know it's always easier for people to to use vitriol at people that they don't know mm-hmm. um but then when you meet people and you see yeah you know there's obviously shady characters everywhere but most people are regular people they're just people um it just really changes how you think of a lot of this stuff it really does
0: and how the merger? i mean i know um i've done stories with nigel eccles from uh from fanduel and he's a he's a good guy and i'm you're a good guy and how does that how did that work Is i mean the, bit, the companies were head-to-head, and then suddenly you went from, you know, rivals to partners, and then I don't know if you're rivals again. Like, it's a very, it's almost like a, like a, like a, a like a, well, not Game of Thrones, but like a, it's a very, it's a very, like, Greek mythology kind of thing. Like, it's, it's just, you know, from frenemies to friends to, I don't know, how is, how is that all going down now?
1: And we're taking a quick
0: break to say this show is brought to you by the business platinum card from American express. However you move your business forward with business platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next and nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the business platinum card backed by the service and security of American express.
2: Well, you know, when you look at, uh, some of those analogies, a lot of it's driven by power. Um, I think in this case, Nigel and I are both business people. This yeah. is driven by economics and rational analysis of, mm-hmm. of what was the right business decision for each of us. And now, I think we'll approach our current situations in the same way. We're um, looking at it from a very rational perspective. Mm-hmm. And I can't speak to you know exactly what he'll do, but I know he'll look at it that way because I got to know him well, and yeah. he's a businessman, and, and it's the same way I am. So, you know, we got along fine. Everything was good, even though obviously there was history of rivalry. Um, both of us understood that the deal was something that could add value for both of our companies, and therefore it was the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, I think under – correct me if I'm wrong, but I think under the, the agreement, Nigel would be kind of the chairman and you would run both the CEO – you'd be the CEO of both companies. Is that Was that what the proposed deal was or was that up in the air? No, that was the proposed deal. Yeah. So, that's, so I mean, it's very. you guys are very close and very tight, and do you are you – think that th- that could eventually happen again or is that you've given up the ghost and these are going to be two different companies for at least a long future
2: well once something gets rejected it's very hard to mm-hmm. get it through again we could go back and choose to litigate at some point and we could certainly submit it to a new commission if there are new commissioners appointed mm-hmm. but usually from what i understand it's unlikely that they're going to vote against what a previous commission did. I see. That said, this commission only had two commissioners on it, so it was pretty unusual. Usually, mm-hmm. there's five, so um, you know perhaps an argument could be made that uh, you know this was a different sort of unique situation. Um, so you never say never, but given both the long odds of getting it done, and also you know we're pretty happy with where we're at. Mm-hmm. Our company in a good position. I think it's something more like we gave it a go and you know it didn't work out unfortunately and now we've moved on.
0: Yeah, so can it, is this it kind of a, a Coke and Pepsi
2: kind of thing? There can be there can be two big players and everyone everyone's happy. You know, I almost see this as Coke and Pepsi are established products in an mm-hmm. established market. This is so nascent. This is going to evolve as media and gaming and all the sort of you know tangent industries around it evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that either of us are going to look a lot like what we look like today in 10 years. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it may end up that we're directly competing and that sort of evolution happens in a similar parallel way, or it could end up that both companies diverge in very different directions. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, Talk about evolution. Uh, take a step
0: back. I want to hear the the story of DraftKings, how this came about. I, I, I read before that you are a very proud sports stat geek you're one of the uh one of the one of those kids in probably kindergarten who' was, had the uh, the box scores under their under their arm so to speak i'd love to hear how you went from you know diehard sports fan to like a big time sports entrepreneur
2: well i uh, i was definitely a sports geek and i was always into numbers as a kid too i was a, a math guy and stats guy um And, you know, I, I wished like many kids that I could actually play, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I too had that same wish, but Ah, I didn't
0: didn't have the numbers either. So I'm just, I'm,
2: I'm really out of luck. (laughs) Well, you got the, the gift of journalism. So that's
0: pretty good. It's not, it's not a gift. It's a more of a, it's more of a (laughs) curse. Yeah. Well,
2: I guess the grass is always, yes, yes, no, it's all good. Um, you know, I was, uh, I, I was somebody who sort of wished I could have been on the field like all of us and. I remember a story. uh, I was about probably eight or nine years old, and I was trying out for my Corey League baseball team, and um, they had all the kids' tryouts, and then they were scored and rated, and I had the rating sheet. And I was, like, middle, maybe even lower middle of the pack. And, you know, my dad and I were sitting, and he was talking about some random kid, and he was like, oh, I remember he got a four on this. I was like, no, no, he had a five. He's mm-hmm. like, no, he didn't. He, had this, he looked sure he had a five. He goes, wait a minute. He starts going through asking me names, and I knew the different. I had memorized the different. And at that moment, I realized I am better at actually memorizing other people's ratings than actually playing the game <laughs> um, because by the time you got down to me, there were many, many people ahead. So I, I remember that moment. It was like weird because I was on the one hand proud of myself that I had that kind of memory for numbers. On the other, I was like, there's this like just realization moment mm-hmm. of maybe I can never actually be good at this game. Um, well, at so, least you learned very early on what you were good at and what you weren't good at. That's true. That's true. So I, I you know, I, I was really into stats and numbers and sports, of course. And I got into fantasy sports in a big way as a teenager. Probably peaked out in college. And um, at one point in college, I was playing, I think, in, in over a hundred leagues in a year. Wow! Um, How so. do you keep track of that? I don't know. I had a lot of. Unfortunately, I had a lot of spare time. Yeah. I, I didn't have uh, much of a life, I guess. Um, so, and, and the other thing is, I always Were you won... winning a lot of those. Like out of a hundred, how many would you at least? I win more than I lost, but I wasn't like lighting the world on yeah. fire. I mean, I was. Uh, I was always, you know, kind of upper, uh, a little above average, but not, you know, not mm-hmm. an elite player. I was never playing for like high stakes or anything. It was all, it was all just like twenty. $50 leagues with yeah. my friends and coworkers and old college roommates and things like that and I just I did a bunch of public ones too I would just do anything um and I played a bunch of different sports also that wasn't all in football mm-hmm. that was when I had a lot of time <laughs> um so I, I also always wanted to be an entrepreneur and um I really had this idea I like really got excited about the whole tech boom that was happening and I thought like you know this is where you go you go it's like the gold rush type of thing mm-hmm. and um that was in 1999 when i first started college i graduated in '03, and it was like a totally different world yeah. so you know two three years ago i've been going to career fairs and it was like kids two three years out of college look like me telling me they'd gone to some tech startup and raised hundreds of millions and two years later it was like just absolutely dead Nobody. ice ice age ice age yeah um and so you know uh i ended up going and it was the best thing for me because i would have i would have probably failed if i had tried to be an entrepreneur at that point i went and i got a corporate job went to capital one which is a great experience um i had ended up uh did you invent the what's in your wallet slogan I wish I had invented that <laughs> slogan. That's a good one. But uh, no, I was doing credit policy, as fun oh. as that sounds. Oh, I just fell asleep for a second. What yeah, it was very exciting, uh, but it was numbers related, yeah. so it was good. And good risk-reward, which is a lot of uh, what you guys do now. Exactly. So I learned all of my sort of analytic foundation there. And the other cool thing about Capital One was I had told them, because I was a stupid kid and I didn't know any better, I said, look, I don't really want to be at your company, basically. I'd rather have been at a startup. Um, I said that not in those words, but essentially, but they had a great HR team. So this was um, in you know that period, right? As I was kind of coming out of college, I'd interned there. They had a great HR team. So they, they said, look, um, we actually have an opportunity for you. We just bought a startup up in Boston. They were based, I thought I was going to the DC area mm-hmm. after college. So okay. they had given me an offer in the DC area, but I had told them I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so they, they called me up and they said, hey, we actually just bought this company up in Boston. I know you said you really were interested in startups, and this is kind of a cool combination of mm-hmm. being a Capital One and a secure company at a time when startups aren't really getting funding and also being in a startup environment. So I went there, and for like the first year, I did credit policy, and I raised my hand and said I thought I was going to learn all of what it was like to be a startup. What was a startup? was, was, the startup? It was uh, So it was this uh, a, a company that did um loans for like uh, elective medical procedures home improvement projects just things that people couldn't put on their credit card that were too high ticket so uh, I was there for a little while and after doing the credit policy thing I said look I I came here because I thought I was a startup and true to their word they like gave me every experience I wanted from there I think I switched jobs like every six 12 months and I did everything I did you know everything from ops to Finance to um they even did sales, which mm. was mercifully short. Yes, <laughs> um, and after that, uh, I thought uh, so. I met also one of my eventual co-founders, Matt Kalish, there, and he and I started talking about. He had the entrepreneurial bug too, and so mm-hmm. I immediately was attracted to to him because he was like an entrepreneurial guy, but also one of the smartest people there, like mm-hmm. the top two or three smart people I'd ever met. So, you know, I was like, this is somebody that I'm going to do something with at some point. So we would go out and grab beers and. Dinner and talk about starting something together, and after doing that for a little while, um, we I was again feeling like I was ready to do it, and once again bad timing. This was two thousand eight. Yep. So all of a sudden, time uh, for,
0: not a good time for credit either.
2: Not a good time. <laughs> so for that reason too, I actually ended up moving on, and I, I was again very fortunate because um, while Capital One was a great company for analytics and great first company and management training, everything there, they were not a tech company. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next company I went to was Vistaprint, which really was a tech company.
0: That's the um, like the, the, the cards and uh, business cards and everything?
2: Exactly. So they, they created this really cool uh, method for aggregating together all these smaller orders from small businesses so they could give you really great prices on business cards, marketing materials, whatever stuff you needed for your mm-hmm. small business. And then they had this digital direct marketing model that our current DraftKings current CMO, Janet Holian, who was the CMO at Vistaprint, had hmm. built from the ground up into uh, billion dollar revenue company. Um, so really cool company. I went there for about four years. I recruited Matt over there.
0: And were they in Boston as well?
2: They were right outside of Boston and mm-hmm. the suburbs of Boston and also um, met my third co-founder there. So, you know, I like to say, even though I didn't do, um, you know, what I thought I was or hoped I had done, which is become an entrepreneur right mm-hmm. away. It was very fortunate because I wouldn't have met one or both of my co-founders. I wouldn't have learned anything that I learned, which was, I mean, I can't even imagine trying to do what we're doing now without having that experience.
0: That's great. Yeah, and obviously finding a a co-founder with the right chemistry is one of the hardest things in entrepreneurship, and you were lucky that you found two with two different experiences.
2: That was exactly it. We had a a very, uh, the way I described it is that three of us, are like totally aligned on philosophy like how mm-hmm. you run a business how like the vision like what we're, and completely different skill set wise
0: what would you fo- what did you focus on at Vistaprint and what's kind of your you said you're a numbers guy but what were you doing there and what's like your skill set in in DraftKings now
2: so I did a couple of things at Vistaprint but the primary thing I did was customer acquisition um, at DraftKings I do a lot of different things um, I would say that the areas I personally probably focus most on are the product uh, on the uh, legislative and government affairs stuff, just mm-hmm. because it's um, you know something that's so important and pressing, uh, or has been at least. Um, I focus a lot on the investor relations and fundraising side. I definitely focus on the people and recruiting side. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the way that I look at it is, I have to make sure that um, I can at any point in time uh, be helpful if needed at anything. But what I actually spend my time on at any given moment is really dictated by what my team or what Mm -hmm. the company needs at that point. So I have to be able to do everything, but at any point in time, it might be something completely different.
1: And just a quick break to say business can be done from anywhere, in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are.
0: It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card. Backed by the service and security of American Express. There are 120,000 unsolved murder cases in America. It was the next day that I found out from my parents when it happened, that my sister was killed. Each one
1: is called a cold case.
2: Sometimes you have to look really closely to find the evidence.
1: Hey, I killed Damn it, I killed her. Cold Case Files, the podcast. Garcia is walking into the home of a real monster. I was nervous. I realized what kind of
0: person I was dealing with.
2: It's a goosebump moment.
0: Download new episodes every Tuesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com.
1: Hey, it's Adam Carolla. The greatest time of the year is back. College basketball, that's right. March Madness, March Mania, and March Money join in on everyone's favorite game the bracket challenge contest at betonline.ag sign up for a free account receive your 50 percent welcome bonus and make your picks all the early lines for all the games are now available so don't miss out on any of the action for the next three weeks at betonline.ag the exclusive partner at podcast one sports net so take me really quick
0: take me through you went from printing from credit to printing than to daily fantasy
2: sports. Take me to that through that jump. So much like when we were Capital One, Matt and I would go out and, you know, talk about how we should start a company together mm-hmm. over beers. And I started to do the same thing with Paul separately. Um, and so, you know, this was in 2011. And no excuse this time. The world was not collapsing financially. Um, so I kind of had in my head, like, I, I gotta, we gotta come up with an idea. I gotta do it. Now's the time. So I was really pressing Matt and I was like, Hey, you know, let's do something. Let's come up with something. Um, and one day he just comes up to me and he goes, I think I got something and he pulls me, this is like around seven, eight o'clock. We would all work late at mm-hmm. Print, So after the, you know, people started clearing out, sometimes we'd go and catch up with each other. So he grabbed me and he pulled me into a room. He said, I think I got something. He told me, and it was very like high level at the time. It was, you know how we like to play fantasy sports but you do the draft and you have to play all season he's like what if you could just sit down and like do a draft now and just play this weekend and you could play against your friends you could win money i'm just like wow that's great i love it yeah um simple and, and fast and simple and fast easy concept already a built-in market um you know it's interesting because there's a huge fantasy sports fan but I never really thought that it was an important thing to work on something I was passionate about. In fact, in some ways, I thought that might be a detriment, and that was one of the concerns I had. I was like, do I like this idea too much because it's me, and is the market really as big as I think? Yeah, you thought you have internal bias for it. Exactly. So I took it then to Paul, who was a fantasy fan but not as big, and he liked it too. Um, I remember, actually, so uh, I had said uh, to Matt, look, we need to bring Paul in. He agreed, and... I walked up to Paul, similarly, it was like a day or two later and around like 8 o'clock at night, and Paul's got like this like six Sense type of thing, and he just looks at me and he goes, you have a business idea, don't you? <laughs> How the hell did you know that? Somehow he knew it, so I pulled him in, I told him, and then after that we started moonlighting after work, so we would leave work around 6 or 7, work through the evenings, order food, and uh, we were working at a Paul's spare bedroom in Watertown, which oh, is okay. a suburb of Boston, We did that. We worked weekends. We would wake up at, like, 6 or 7 in the morning every weekend, work till, like, 10 o'clock at night. And, um, you know, despite the fact that we were putting in these crazy hours, we just weren't making the kind of traction that we wanted.
0: And were you guys – was someone there technical, like, coding the platform or were you working on business plan or just how the whole thing – or, like, the player data? What was – how would you guys – this is very complex. Like, it's moving – you have millions of inputs. Very complex. It's a simple idea, but really hard to pull off, especially if you're not, you know, some you know 10x engineer, computer science guy,
2: which you might, which you might be. I don't know. I, I am not. Um, I so when we first started, Paul was the main coder. Uh, we had like sort of a revolving door of other people. We were trying to get involved, but because we were doing it part time, we had no money. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep people engaged. So. You know, we had people that would work with us for a couple months here and there and then drop out, but Paul was doing most of the coding. Matt and I were creating business plans. We were also creating wireframes, though, for product. That was mm-hmm. key. So the stuff that Paul was writing were based on designs that Matt and I were creating.
0: At this point, were you thinking desktop or was this already was mobile already hot enough? Desktop.
2: desktop. It was yeah. yeah, amazing how fast that happens, right? Like, So just to put it in perspective, even after we had a mobile product in 2013, it was still like... Another year or two before mobile past desktop is the number one traffic source,
0: and it's crazy. If you go to a uh, bar in, on Sunday in New York, and I'm sure Boston too, everyone has their phones out, and they're not texting; they're checking their their fantasy league, they're checking the daily fantasy. It's become almost antisocial in the sense it's that everyone, everyone's checking their phones in together, but there's no one's watching the no one's watching the big screen; they're watching the small screen.
2: There's some irony for you.
0: Yeah, right. What? Um. So when did you guys? What was the turning point going from? Okay, three guys in a spare bedroom in Watertown moonlighting to we have a company, this is actually gonna hit. Like, what
2: was that jump? So, you know, we had been working probably 25, 30 hours minimum every week, uh, usually more in this nights and weekends thing, and we weren't progressing. And, you know, I saw the market as something that is, it was like a now market. Like, I thought if this thing's gonna take off, it's gonna be the next couple of years. So we all looked at each other and we said, how are we going to accelerate? How's we, how are we going to increase commitment? Um, so we all decided we're going to put in some of our own money, which you know none of us came from money, mm-hmm. so we didn't have much and um, we put in 25k total between the three of us. And so then we said, well if we're going to do that, we ought to you know, open a bank account, which means we should probably form a company mm-hmm. and I guess we're going to need a lawyer to do that. So we went and found a lawyer. Um, And it was just kind of dumb luck that we happened upon through an intro of a friend of mine, this lawyer, that convinced us you got to raise money. Mm -hmm. It was really him that said, like, you got to raise money. And he made some intros to investors for us. And from that moment forward, I was convinced we had to raise money. So it was my sole focus. I was just – and it's crazy because we were still at our day jobs, so we had no business trying to do this. We had – Three guys with the very badly coded prototype that didn't work and a PowerPoint deck still at their day jobs, which is the most insane fundraising (laughs) story to try to pitch. But I was doing it over and over again. And finally, after like six months, um, we were able to raise some money. We quit our jobs literally the same day. Uh, And then after that, literally three months later, we had a product live. Um, And and the funniest part about that was, and this just shows what like focus and full-time effort will do uh right after we raised the funding Paul came to me and he said I got bad news for you Jason but um trust me it's the right decision I said what he goes you know we were supposed to get you know the product out and next he's like we have to scrap the whole thing i screwed up all of how i wrote it now i know better i got to do it from start differently wow, again r- rip up the novel and start again totally ripped it up so it was one of, i think i look at back at that as like our first big decision that we got right to do that because if we hadn't prioritized gaining back an extra month or two to build on top of poor infrastructure mm-hmm. it would never it would it would have been a terrible decision
0: would you guys when you raised the money were you still working out of that bedroom or did you get a, a a loft space somewhere
2: so um uh for for a few weeks we were still working in the bedroom but after that we were able to find a space The first office we had was a shared space with another company where are you guys now Uh, Now we're in uh, downtown Boston. Okay. How many employees? About uh, somewhere between 350 and 400. Yeah. I mean, we've
0: obviously... We do a lot in Boston with the under 30. We yeah. were there last year. You guys were really partners. Um, and Boston's really... How has Boston been? Like, we, You guys decided to stay in Boston. And how has kind of the ecosystem been cha- working? Because the city's exploding. There's cranes everywhere. Startups. You know, you have GE and Facebook and IBM and Google all setting and up Amazon. big shop there. Amazon. What? Um, what's like the vibe now? What made you guys stay there instead of going to another... Besides being a great sports town at the time?
2: You know, I think that the policy makers are... Are, are really a lot of where the credit should go boston's always had the core you know sort of foundational things that should make it a great technology hub mm-hmm. the uh, educational feeder system with mit harvard all the other great schools there um the fact that it's a uh, uh, so close in proximity in the northeast to other major financial yeah. and metro centers um the history of it all of those things line up perfectly and there's no reason why technology should not be, you know, thought of in Boston in the same way as it's thought of in Silicon Valley. I think that more recently there's been a really significant effort, and I give the governor, Governor Baker, the mayor, Mayor Walsh, um, you know, Speaker DeLeo, Senate President Rosenberg, just mm-hmm. all the leadership across the state and local government. They they've been they've been focused on this. You hear them talk about it, and they're all in sync. Rarely do you see, um, you know, that kind of you know, just interconnectivity between these different branches and um i think that's why it's working that's why the city's exploding right now the forbes under 30 events awesome they went all out to get that and trust me they're going to make that a signature event they already have
0: well thanks yeah it was we
2: were there last year it was great and we're planning right now right. And i'm sure you get good i'm sure you get good uh, seats of fenway too uh, I do love catching a game at Fenway when I can. Uh, there's a lot of history there. It's a fun place.
0: So I want to just – we don't have – I mean, I don't want to take up all your time. This has been great. I want to talk real quick about, the, what, about fantasy sports, about what makes a good player. Because, you know, some people think it's luck, but I was reading that there's still this – there's a top tier of, of pros, so to speak, that win a lot of these contests. Um, and I know there's a lot of effort on both sides to make like a, you know, a pro division, then kind of a – you know, people like me – division these people that are like like are winning more than losing so to speak what are they good at are they is it trading is it risk reward is it just they're just stat animals what is it that makes these people win
2: you know there's a variety of things and um i'll answer your question in a second but you're you're also right that we are making a lot of effort to make sure that players of all experience and skill levels can can feel like they have Mm -hmm. a good time Um, recently we announced a change where we took that group of people that you're talking about and we said that um, anyone over a certain threshold of lifetime uh, entries is not able to play in any mm-hmm. games under $5 that also have a prize pool less than 25000 which is the majority of the games on, on mm-hmm. the website, so... Um, definitely an important thing to make sure that you know you cater to players of all different levels and that people can come and choose the games that they can compete in.
0: Yeah, I gotta stay in the kiddie pool myself. Yeah,
2: yeah me too, me too. Um, so, you know, as for your question, I, I don't know that there's uh, a one sort of answer um, thing here. It's, it's like sports in general. You find different players that are are good for different reasons. Some are, um, you know, to use sports. You know, some are, are just physical specimens that can run the four fours. Others have, you know, great kind of uh, mental, uh, great in the mental game. Others are just outworking their opponents. Mm-hmm. Some of them have great hands. If you're a receiver, so on. So, you know, I think it's similar in the fantasy side. You have people that are quant jocks that are really good at being able to analyze stats and create models. You have people that are really intuitive. Um, that just can look at box scores and watch games and pick up on like you know trends and notice players that are emerging that other people won't. So you mentioned yeah you said like it's a,
0: some people have like the sixth sense like just, yeah like they just have that gambling absolutely.
2: Sense. You figure out you know which types of things you want to concentrate on, um, and then you follow those things. But it's it, so there's still like some aspect of following the numbers and such, but it's much more high level than that. They're not like really digging into stats. They're just looking for high level trends of like, hmm, this player's had two or three good weeks in a row. They have a good matchup this week. It feels like they're about to explode this week. Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely, you always find it. There's players every week that are low salary players that go off. And um, so you got to figure those out. Uh, There's also people that are really kind of, you know, good at figuring out the latest news and how it's going to impact things. So when there's a late injury or there's a weather uh announcement or um you know there's some beat writer writing about how the coach's game plan is going to be xyz there's Mm -hmm. people that are good at taking that and figuring out how is that going to affect who gets the ball for example i've seen you know i've heard people uh, i've seen people like write on social media oh you got to play the number two wide receiver on some team that has like you know julio jones or jordy nelson or something to this week and you're like how the hell do they know that and it's because some beat writer said that the cover corner was going to be covering the other guy and the weak corner is going to be on the number two wow yeah.
0: you can make this game a a five minute game time decision or some people putting in major hours it seems like for, for these, yeah
2: games. i think so and you know a lot of it's uh stuff if you're just following the sport you're going to pick up on but You know, some people really are dedicated to fantasy in that way. Now, our job is to create content and tools that make it easy for people who don't want to put hours in to be able to get access to the same stats and information and crunch the numbers quickly. And we're going to be rolling out a lot of new stuff in that area, too. I think that's a very important part as well, because if you can take the same types of information that the people who are looking at these things for hours do and condense it and summarize it in a way that you can consume it in five to ten minutes, it's going to open up a lot more appetite for, for different people to play.
0: You mentioned Tom Brady before. Is there like a, a Tom Brady or two of, of fantasy that are just absolute just freaks of nature that win so much? Are there a few like savants out there?
2: You know, it's interesting because yes, but it, it's, it's by sport. Um, there's very few people that can win consistently in all the different sports, uh, but there are definitely people that are really good at their own sport, and there's some that can win at multiple. Um, But it's really fascinating because you'll see some people who are really good at one sport and they're just okay at another. But they love the game so much that they just want to play all of them.
0: And what is the added? I mean, you you guys have a lot of, you know, professional teams, professional leagues as partners in in on this. What's the relationship between you and the NFL, per se, or you and and other major league sports? Um, I mean, they must love it because it increases engagement, increases media watch, increases all that stuff. What is the new development on that?
2: Well, we have great relationships with all the sports leagues. Several of them are investors in our company, um, Major League Baseball being the largest, but also the National Hockey League and Major League Soccer. We have great relationships across all the different franchises as well. Um, we partner with many of them. Um, you know, So we've been very fortunate to have uh, really uh, great partnerships there. Um, and as you said, I think they get the value it drives for the game. Fantasy sports is... it's a, it's interesting because you know, 15 years ago, people were like, "I don't know about this fantasy sports thing," but today it's just ubiquitous. I mean, the NFL has an entire channel, Red Zone, designed around fantasy sports.
0: Yeah, and there's ESPN. Oh, obviously, you guys are sponsors, but they have an they had an entire like pregame show just on daily fantasy, or on just on fantasy. It's people watch and they love it.
2: Yeah, it's un- it's not even disputed. I mean, maybe 15 years ago, but it's, it's just a given thing now that everyone knows that this is a huge engagement tool, probably the greatest engagement tool ever created in terms of taking, you know, casually interested fans and turning them into highly engaged mega fans. Do
0: you ever get complaints from players saying that they should be valued more on, on the day than, uh, than they are?
2: You know, uh, I definitely have seen players tweeting about that stuff. I don't think anybody's ever directed it at me, though.
0: Are there DraftKings activations that if I go to a stadium or go? Are there certain like lounges or things, interactive things that I can go to? Is that a thing you're thinking about in the future to kind of really put yourself into the games and the experiences?
2: We do. So um, we have one at Gillette Stadium in New England. We have one at uh, the AT&T Stadium in Dallas. Um, Cowboys and Patriots are two of our great partners, and both Jerry Jones and uh, the Kraft family are investors. Uh, so, you know, we have another one in Kansas City. You have a Hall of Famer as an investor now. That's- I was there last weekend. That was pretty fun. Wow. He had a quite, quite a party. Justin Timberlake performed. <laughs> was everyone rubbing his, rubbing the, rubbing the statue? You know, uh, I didn't think anyone got close to the statue. That <laughs> was, uh, that was guarded, but it was, it was pretty fun. Uh, the Joneses know how to throw a party.
0: That's amazing. What, what do you, what's your kind of prediction for fantasy? Like, if, you, if I'm going to play on DraftKings and next year or like a few years, what, what do you see as like the perfect product or how is this going to evolve?
2: Um, I think you're going to see. Uh, so, ultimately, I think the customer and, and, and what the customer wants drives everything. In and in a free market and a free economy, businesses will ultimately supply the customer with what they want. I think what the customer wants in the new digital mobile age. Um, and with all of the changes that are happening in media and games and all those things, the customer wants to be able to play their fantasy games, watch their stats and scores, watch highlights, watch live streaming, buy jerseys, do whatever they want out of a very simple experience that's accessible to them on their mobile device. Mm-hmm. That's what they want. And so the more seamlessly we can integrate our partners into what we do, um, whether it's, you know, I just one because Tom Brady threw a touchdown and now I want to buy a jersey or mm. whether it's I just, you know, one because he threw a touchdown and I want to watch the highlight. Um doesn't matter. I think if you can make it easy for uh the customer to get what they're looking for out of the experience, then you'll 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 have them for life and and ultimately it's, somebody's going to do it. Um so I I I think that's what it looks like. I think people are going to have everything kind of it'll be device agnostic, so wherever you are, whether you're out and about on your mobile device, home, you know, on your TV, uh, things that are audio-driven through your, you know, Alexa or Echo. uh, Wherever you are, you are going to be able to access the same experience, and the experience is going to be highly integrated Mm -hmm. across media, gaming, uh, everything that you're looking for.
0: Yeah, you see yourself. Everyone's on the mobile screen, but at the same time, people love just to be on their couch and watching the TV. Do you see ways of integrating, you know, maybe your personal team into the TV or even you know down the line tailoring your your the games you get based on the teams you've picked you know really custom made kind of experiences that
2: that's exactly right you're, you 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 know you know better than i do so this is this is the kind of thing i'm talking about so um, you know, take what I was just describing before, but now I know who your team is. Yeah. So I can actually instead of making you say I want to see this highlight, I know what you're going to want to watch. I can just tell you that your player scored and here's a highlight or I can tell you your players in the red zone, I'm going to switch the live stream. Um, absolutely. Those types of integrations are exactly where everything's going. It's interesting now because what you're seeing happen in media is um there's the the world is changing. And when things change um, and no one knows exactly how they're going to change, that's scary. And sometimes it causes uh, everyone to be very protective Mm -hmm. of their assets. So what you're seeing now is as things transition from pure sort of television and broadcast means to digital streaming, mobile, all those sorts of things, um, companies are getting increasingly uh, protective of their content. Hmm. Um, they're being even less willing. I just saw this announcement that Disney's going to sunset its Netflix uh, deal and going to move all of that content to a Disney ESPN OTT streaming service. Oh geez, I'm, I'm my kids gonna be really mad. I know, I know. So in the short term, that works, right? Because if your kids want Disney stuff, then. Um, you're going to have to subscribe to their service. In the long term, though, I think it's harmful because you don't want to have to subscribe to 20 different services. No. And if you do, you certainly want them integrated. You don't want to have to be switching between them. So I think that's where everything's going to go. Um, I think in the short term, you're seeing this movement as the transition happens towards really heavy uh, sort of protectionist philosophies around content. And I think over time, it's going to look more like what it does today where content aggregation happens and, um, because of the ability with data and digital mobile devices to just highly customize it and make it easy to use. I think it's going to be more seamless and more integrated than ever, but it will take time. Wow, so you, this has been a big
0: learning curve, not only sports and legislation and gaming, but now you got to learn the whole media landscape. I love a, it. Which is a nightmare too, but never boring.
2: Never boring. Jason, thank you so much. Thank
0: you. That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertone. If you'd like to reach us, email us at interview at podcastone.com. Thanks for listening. Fantasy football season is here, and we've got the best fantasy football podcast anywhere because we've got the best fantasy football analyst in Evan Silva from rotoworld.com. Make sure you subscribe to the Fantasy Feast podcast so you can hear me,
1: Ross Tucker, get Evan's rankings and draft strategies to give you the edge you need this year. That's the Fantasy Feast podcast available on the Podcast One app or wherever podcasts are found. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. The greatest time of the year is back. College basketball, that's right, March Madness, March Mania, and March Money. Join in on everyone's favorite game, the Bracket Challenge Contest, at betonline.ag. Sign up for a free account, receive your 50% welcome bonus, and make your picks. All the early lines for all the games are now available, so don't miss out on any of the action for the next three weeks at betonline.ag, the exclusive partner at Podcast One Sportsnet.
0: I'm Ed Donahue.